Be sure to check out the brand new Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 book, which is available now in both print and digital download. The book dives into the advanced statistics for all 30 NHL teams, which includes assessments for every player who played in an NHL game last season, and also a team essay for every team as well. To find out more on how to purchase the book, please visit HockeyProspectus.com. Hello and welcome to the Halloween version of the Hockey Hurts podcast. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week, we'll just give you a heads up right now if you do not want to listen about the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll give you your out right now. Smart, man. But, you know, if you're interested, stick around. We're going to be talking Penguins this week. Uh, They just finished up winning their seventh game out of eight uh, just about an hour ago. So coming from 0-3 and battling all the way back and winning seven of eight games, not, not so bad. Uh, all things considered, but we are going to discuss some of the underlying things about the team. Uh, if there are some things that are questionable about their process, uh, even though they've gotten good results lately, and uh, you know, anything else we stumble across. So, uh, seven of eight, not bad, right? Um, yeah, and this team, what did we say last week when we were discussing the Penguins that if they get to Seven and seven, you know, after their first 14 games, then, you know, they should be happy with where they're at compared to where they started. And they're already at seven. So as a Penguins fan, you've, you've got to be happy. They've turned it around. Um, they're in the easier part of the schedule right now. So hopefully they can build on that and, and push forward. They're winning these games without playing great hockey. And I think that's something that Penguins fans should be cognizant of and very happy that that's what they're doing at the moment. Yeah. You, you win games that maybe you don't deserve, you can still be happy about that because the alternative is losing and who wants that? <laughs> but but there, is the, there is the whole understanding the hows and whys and, and sustainability of such, such success. And, um, Correct. When we talked last week about um, the schedule, I don't think either of us had them beating Nashville and Washington for those two no. wins. I, I, nope. I don't think we could sit there and, and, and say that. Say, we thought say that. that honestly. Yeah. Uh, no. But they did. And they beat Toronto tonight very convincingly for, for nothing. Uh, and they're going to enter their West Coast Canadian trip, which is Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. And quite frankly, that's a lot better looking than the earlier in the year when they got Dallas twice in Montreal, when they were on fire. So Pittsburgh survived at the beginning of the year, which was very nice, even though they were not playing great hockey. So this is, this is how you keep a season alive. Unlike Columbus, who has just been a complete dumpster fire as far as the record like, they haven't played the worst hockey in the league. And Anaheim, another example, they certainly have not played terrible hockey. Uh, shooting percentage just totally wolf, woeful in um, Anaheim. But that can ruin a season if you don't get the results early on. And Pittsburgh survived it, and good for them. 
I think you get there and you compare Columbus to Pittsburgh. I think the big difference between the two of them is just being the guy in net in regards to saving results and actually getting somewhere to be able to pull their way out of whatever problems they're having. So Pittsburgh can be absolutely stoked that Fleury's playing better than he played last year. And he's, he's you know, you, you look at his numbers and they're ridiculously good at the moment. So you can't really... Um, complain about what's going on in that with the club. It's what's going on in front no, of him. How could you be concerning? <laughs> that would be absurd. Yeah. Um, Flurry 40th shutout this evening over Toronto. Uh, whether or not he's, well, I, nobody can stay at the level he's playing at right now. At least nobody has in NHL history. But his start to the year has uh, been just fantastic. And been awesome. It's probably it, it speaks well to to where it's going to go for the season, and he has not played this well for a long stretch of time since two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, which was his career year. That was uh, the first year the Penguins made the Stanley Cup final, and they were a terrible possession team under uh, Michelle Terrian. But Crosby, Malkin, and Flurry just hid every flaw possible. Uh, Flurry hasn't played at that level since then, really. And so far this year, he has. And that's really why they are where they are. Because uh, Pittsburgh, at least before the Toronto game tonight, was 27th in the league in uh, shot attempts against per 60, which... I know a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, they're they're playing well defensively," and that's I I can't agree with that at all. They've been really terrible defensively, and Mark Andre Fleury has been pretty great. So that's I want to ask you a question about that. It's always the one argument that comes with um, people that don't like to put too much credence into the advanced stat stuff. How many of those? shots against are in high danger areas upon which Fleury's having to make, you know, high level saves. I think the high danger scoring chances against, I think they're also ranked in the bottom five in the league. I think and, Lyle Kostas of the uh, Garage League podcast, also another good Penguins podcast. Um, yeah, he had tweeted that out. And quite frankly, I've done studies about this. For hockey prospectus, as far as uh, I did some research on goaltending and how shot volume does not impact save percentage, and part of that study was me comparing shot volume to uh, scoring chances, and the correlation was 75%. So shot volume correlates very highly with quality of shot. So if you're bleeding shot attempts against... Uh, chances are you're, you're giving up some pretty prime scoring chances. So I, I think that's a problem. I, I, I think you can – I think we're past the point of where we – I think that shot quality debate is, is kind of, you know – It's gone. It's not gone, gone, but, like, you know, people have done some good work on it and, and showed the correlation so far. So, and that's the reason that I wanted to ask. I asked that question because you get there and go, all right, so Fleury's covering their ass up because they are making some terrible errors. They can't get the puck out of their zone. You've got a, a, a team with... Okay, my 
you've got a team with so top what? What the hell is going on here? I One moment, guys. Was it anything good? Orange Advantage Home Loan with 100%. Can you hear that? At a low variable well, you're rate. back? Kind of. ING Direct. How banking can be. Oh, Jesus Christ. Australian Sorry, banking guys. commercials. Oh, what kind, of, what co- kind of rates co- do we get? Not good. <laughs> So that was uh, annoying. Sorry, guys. Um, I've totally lost my train of thought now. Um, uh, shot volume, yeah, shot so quality? The shot quality thing. So if Pittsburgh are giving up a bundle of shots, so they're obviously giving up quality shots, how do they go about changing that? That's probably the – what do they have to do to stop Fleury from having to play like Carey Price every night? Well, isn't that the question for this team, right? Yeah. Um. Well, I I said it in the, I said it in the summer. I said it in the preseason. I I've said it throughout this this regular season so far. It it lies with the defense core, and quite frankly, they don't have enough skill back there. And that was a risk they they wanted to take going into the season. I think Jim Rutherford deserves a lot of credit for increasing the depth of the forwards, which we'll get into, I'm sure, in this podcast. Eric Fair. Uh, uh-huh. I think he had two points tonight, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and Matt Cullen scored as well, yes? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, forwards look great. I mean, they've done a really nice job there. I know Sid's not scoring a lot, but, I mean, come on. He's still a pretty great player. <laughs> but, but it was always going to be the defense for me. And they hedged some of their bets on Alimata being... Uh, a top pairing guy, which he hasn't been so far this year. Uh, they hedged their bets on Derek Pouliot being a top four guy, and they had to send him down to the AHL for whatever reason. Uh, well, he didn't have a good camp. I would still argue he's a better option than some of the, some of what they're using yeah. right now, but like you can yeah. understand why they sent him down. Mm. And uh, they, you know, they didn't work probably hard enough to drop Scuderi, and here we are. Unskilled puck movers, bleeding shot attempts against, and for a long time uh, the they weren't scoring because, you know, they can't get Sid the puck in, into the neutral zone with speed. I, I know we've beaten this point into the ground, uh, but it all starts in your own end, controlled exits, you, you gain that burst of speed through the neutral zone, and uh, that's how you generate offense. And the Penguins right now don't don't do that a lot. No, they, they can't. And it's it's really frustrating. Like they're just they're it's that same it's that same beating of the same drum. Is that they need to put some defensemen in there that can actually move the puck either on their own or with a great first pass, and they've got. One player on there at the moment that's doing it consistently. Um, they've got Brian Dumoulin, who I think's been really, really good for the fact that you don't really know that he's out there. He's done nothing egregiously wrong, um, but he's also not had any flashes of bruise because I don't think that's in his game. It's just not in his skill set. But he will make a good first outlet pass. He will 
get the puck where it needs to be and does a reasonably good job of not getting pushed around like he did last year when he came up in the in the playoffs. So it it's just it's frustrating to have to keep beating that drum. Why are there particular players being used at the moment on this team when it's perfectly obvious when they're on the ice, the puck doesn't go anywhere. They're playing Sid with Scuderi. They're basically using Sid to cover up for Scuderi. You can see you watching the game against Toronto today. They were on the ice together so often, and Sid just couldn't get anywhere. Why isn't Sid scoring? <laughs> you, yeah. I mean, come on. It's always quality of teammate. Go back to that. That That's just a common thing that if you're really confused on why a player's struggling, first look at who he's playing with. And if he's playing with good players, then investigate. Or if he's not playing with good players, wait. <laughs> I know if he is playing with good players and he's not doing well, investigate further. But if he's playing with crap, I mean, it speaks for itself. That's yeah. That that's pretty much the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Um, no, I. Yeah, let's yeah, see here. Uh, so Sid. So the thing with Pittsburgh, though, is they're pl- a lot of people go they're playing badly, yet they've still won seven games. They're fifth in the East. They've only given up 20 goals in 11 games. They've finally got a, a plus differential on their goal total, and they've been blown out twice by Dallas. So this is a different – this is a different – Speaks Pittsburgh to the strength of schedule. It does, but it also shows you that this is a different Pittsburgh Penguins team. It's not the high-flying team we're used to seeing because they don't have the defensemen to allow the forwards to shoot the gun and go because they have to come back. Like, even Kessel is coming back and making sure he is back in the zone. Yeah, he's been good with that. But uh, to, to your uh, Sid Scuderi point, mm-hmm. I do not think the numbers are updated for the Toronto game. Yeah. What do you think their possession together is? Oh, it'll be 33 or something like that. It'll be something terrible. 38.1. Yeah. To play with Sidney Crosby and be 38.1. I mean, you just... <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's and so you're, bad. You're asking... You're asking a really, really good player to try and carry a whole four other players on the ice on his own there because he generates for Hornquist and he generates for whoever it is that ends up on his left wing. He's the he's the opportunity generator of the line. They can't help him carry it. So if he's having to carry Scuderi and then at the moment Marta, um, it's no wonder he's not scoring. I mean, he's, he's barely getting scored on, so it's not like it's, you know... He's carrying, he's carrying line. a guy, like you said, like a guy like Hornquist too, and that's not a, a, a knock totally on Hornquist, but he's he's not a guy that carries the puck and no, that's has what I that mean. kind of support. Like Hornquist, as we saw in that goal against Buffalo, like great at finding those open spots, Sid can find them. Uh, that's, all, that's all good stuff, uh, but... But Sid needs help from somewhere to kind of assist in getting that from defensive zone in control through the neutral zone and then in the offensive zone in control. But if he's playing with guys like Scuderi, 
He's not going to get the clean breakout. But then he also doesn't have the assistance of chip, uh, pushing it along to the next guy if it's um, a guy like Hornquist who's probably uh, more apt to dump it in. And yeah. th- that's – I mean, some people may – I mean, the L.A. Kings are a team that have shown – they are good at that dump and chase. It's in their metrics. They're a good possession team. They do it well. Um, yeah, but you've got to have the right team to dump it and then collect it. You can't just say, oh, we're going to copy what the LA Kings are. You've got to actually have – this team needs to have control of the puck for them to be successful. They have to be across the blue line with possession. The only time they should be dumping it in is if it's a chip around a defenseman with someone already skating with speed to collect the puck. You're not going to dump and chase and bang and crash with that Penguins forward lineup. It's just it's not how it's constructed. You can chip it, but you've got to have either yourself or someone to be able to chase it behind the defenseman and at least make it a wall battle, um, not just have the puck just get rimmed around the other end. So there's nothing wrong with chipping and chasing as long as you know that once you've let it go, your teammate's going to be the first one there. I, I think sometimes people think of chip and chase as quite literally just dump it and run, and and, and it's not. You can get the puck behind the, the opposition's defensemen, force them to turn, but you beat them to the puck, and then all of a sudden you've got a two-on-one. Yeah, um, d- uh, chip and chase will always be a part of the sport. There's, I mean, the other team's defensemen are, you know, they're going to have good gap control. They're going to force you into that at times. And there yep. are more skilled forwards that have a, a good touch on the puck that can put it in spots. Like, it's not always just, oh, I dump it in, I ripped it in, whatever. Uh, even my high school players, I tell them, put it in spots where our guys have better than a 50% chance of going to get it. That's all you ask for as a coach as well, really. Over the course of large samples, yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And you can be successful chipping it behind a defenseman consistently if you know you can you know, do it. But stylistically, I will always be against chipping and chasing if I can carry it. And I want the team that can generate the ability to carry it, always. Not realistic. But that's, you know, you strive towards that, at least for me. Yep. No, no, I, I agree with that. It, it's just one of those things where if you've got a team that's skilled enough to carry it whenever they want, if they do have that need where they have to suddenly chip and chase it, they'll have the skill level to chip and chase it and actually get it back, not just dump it and run. You know, some guys get get. Here's the difference. Team like L.A., uh, they do okay through the neutral zone and they start to feel a little bit of pressure. They still have enough time and space between when the pressure comes up so that their guy can have uh, the ability to put it in a spot where some, some teams where some, in, the some neutral teams zone in the neutral zone just don't. Um, they just whack it in uh, because they're so lacking the time and space. Good God. The first breeze are built to handle male terrain. I keep getting all these commercials popping up. Sorry, guys. What are you clicking on? Huh? I'm just going through some web... I obviously haven't got my ad blocker on. (laughs) Because they're all banking commercials. I haven't been doing any banking lately. I, I just... I don't know, like... 
Do you think Mike Johnson's changed what he's done this the start of this year compared to the start of last year? And if so, what do you think that difference is? Is personnel a difference? So, and <clears throat> I asked it because I wanted that answer basically because I think he's still trying to do the same stuff as he did last year. It's just that he doesn't have the personnel. He's got one person that can do what he wants, and he's got a couple of others that could potentially do what he wants, but he's not utilizing those guys to see if it'll work out. So they can't. Like I remember how excited how exciting it was to watch the first five or six games of the year when the Penguins were healthy. They had their full complement of, of, of D-men, and the puck was barely in the zone. They never really, it never really felt like they got trapped for a couple of minutes in their zone. Almost every game that I've watched this year, they've been trapped, and it's been from the inability of the of either of the defensemen to gain control of the puck and either do something with it to uh, moving forward or to skate the puck themselves. There's only one player at the moment that's doing it, and he can't be on there for, for 60 minutes a game. Well, I mean, you're, you're talking drastic differences in, in the back end. Mm. You, you, you said for six games when they were healthy, which for the Penguins, it's kind of laughable at this point. They're never healthy. Uh, <laughs> you, you had Latang and Paul Martin as a pairing. I mean, come on. That's pretty awesome. It is. And your second pairing was uh, Mata Erhoff. Yeah, that's yes. kind of okay as well. And you still had Simone Dupre carrying Rob Scuderi. Quite successfully, yep. might I add. Yep. And that's a big change <clears throat> because there's no Dupre, there's no Erhoff, there's no Martin, Mata's not playing well, and Scuderi's still there. And Latang's still Latang, but that's a huge difference. Yeah, and he can't carry it all on his own. So so what I'm going to say is something that I would apply to even myself coaching at the high school level. You need to coach to your team's abilities. And while I do appreciate uh, what Mike Johnston has done from an X's and O's standpoint, like I agree with his um, philosophies on things. Yep. Did you get what I'm saying? Oh, he yeah, had no, the person no, he had the personnel to execute that last year. And it you know, with those proper defensemen, the Penguins were a top five team in suppressing shots, not a bottom five team like they are so far this year, right? Yeah. It's just it's just baffling. And, and, and the personnel has has changed and I think he needs to modify a little bit on how he's doing this. And I know that sometimes as a coach, it's, it's frustrating to, you know, that this certain way works really well, but it only works really well if you got the right tools for it. And he's got to kind of find a way to make the, uh, the unskilled stuff work right now at least as far as the defense is concerned. Uh, uh, but his personnel choices could be different. He doesn't have to play uh, Scuderi Lovejoy all the time. He They, they could call up Pouliot and play Colin Denning. That, that would be something I, that yeah. I would consider because long-term, what they're doing right now, uh, I hey, we led the podcast off saying 
winning seven of eight. That's great. But it's, to me, not not sustainable in a playoff atmosphere. Look, when you get there and go, <clears throat> we all thought the Montreal Canadiens would fall short because they were a poor possession team and they relied too heavily on price. Pittsburgh are winning at the moment, basically playing Montreal Canadiens ice hockey from last year. That's the reality of it. So if, as a Pittsburgh fan, you, you want the team to, to move forward uh, in the playoffs and, and win around. Um, Penguins need to have the puck more than they don't. And at the moment, it's the complete reverse of that. And <clears throat> the lucky thing for Pittsburgh is they're still winning games or they're still trying to work it out. I do think uh, having Pouliot up and, and having Scuderi, Lovejoy, Pouliot and Clendinning rotate, um, I think would be brilliant. And the reason for that is it would get Marder away from Scuderi and you would be able to see if Brian Dumoulin can float in his own because he'd be the the leader of whoever he got paired up with. And you might even push Marta up to just play with Latang and, and give Eric Cole a little bit of a breather. I like Eric Cole, but he is not a number two defenseman. He's a four. And he always was a four. A nice four. Great trade Great trade to, to drop a, a six or seven guy in Bortuzzo to pick up that four. But he's a four. Maybe even a five. And there's nothing wrong with him being that. It's just there's a problem with it now because he's not being able to play as a four. That's the issue. Pittsburgh have got a number one, and then everything else, the way everything's playing at the moment, everything else is a a four and a half and below. I'd be reluctant to give Cole sort of that, you know what I mean? At the moment, that's sort of how poor he's been, how inconsistent he's been. So they have to work that out. They work that out, I think everything else flows forward. So at the beginning of the year, I was against a, a Latang Mata pairing because I thought it was overload. I thought, that, you know, as I said earlier, I, I question the strength of their defense core. Yeah. I maybe misplaced. Uh, I was a little more confident that Mata was going to play at a high level. So I thought yep. that it was not necessary or it was necessary to break them up because, you know, somebody's yeah, but got an anchor theory, pairing. But yeah, but backfired. your if that was that Mata could be that anchor, it's quite clear at the moment that he just can't be. So you might as well put him with your best guy and hope that Mata climbs out of the hole that he probably feels like he's in at the moment. I don't think he's going to drag Letang down. And I yeah. think it would be nice for him to play with somebody that is very, very competent. Uh, with Brian Dumoulin playing well, I think you maybe put him with Cole yep. as a second pairing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, oh, well, shit. I mean, no, and that's if, when you wrote if you're not going to do Clendenning and uh, Pouliot, then, you know, hey, you rock and roll 12 minutes a night with uh, Scuderi Lovejoy and hold on to your hat. Well, this is the thing. Say they went ahead and, and did that, you know who's going to have to be the poor bastard that's playing with him, and that's going to be Crosby because he's one of the few guys that can help cover off the errors that Scuderi and Lovejoy are going to make together. I think that's why the pairings look so disjointed is I think the coaching staff fully understand that they can't have 
Lovejoy and Sideri playing together, they probably wouldn't mind having um, Dumal and, and Marta play together. And they probably, or, you know, those top four that you mentioned before, I think they probably wouldn't mind doing that. But for some unknown reason, they feel compelled to play these other two guys. And I just, I think almost every Penguins fan finds it absolutely baffling that why is it that we can all see this stuff, yet the coaching staff seem reluctant to do anything to show that they're looking into it? Well, it's tough to say. Uh, I'm not in those conversations, but... Uh, well, you so, should be. So so far, the, the results <laughs> are the results, you know? And they're winning, and, and that's, that's the other thing. So whilst... I might not like the way they're playing at the moment. They are still winning. No, that's so, good. And, and like I said, it's buying them a cushion, which yeah. is something they really need. And and yep. and what you do by buying yourself a cushion in the standings is you eliminate that potential of making a panic move. You know, <clears throat> look at mm-hmm. Columbus. They hired John Tortorella. Who yeah. will shame their players into quote unquote winning? <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I really get that one either. Anaheim, you know, depending on how long their their little losing streak goes here, you know, who knows what they do? Yeah. But Pittsburgh winning buys them time. It does there, get everybody. There does some talk. need to be a trade for a defenseman of some sort. But at least if you're going to keep winning, even though if some nights you don't exactly deserve it, whatever, you're still getting that result. It's still buying you time in the standing. So you can kind of keep pushing off the problem a little bit and not make rash, just terrible decisions. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see at what point they do go, oh, we need to pull the trigger here. And, and what the trigger is, who gets moved, how they go about it, because it's just, yeah, it's just tough to do anything like that these days. So I hope they find a way to do something. but Because that's what's holding the team back. I I think they're getting as much out of this team as, as I would expect, considering what they've got. Um, Man, so I'm, what's going to happen, though? If they, well... Yeah, what's going to happen if they get average goaltending? I mean, they've gotten well above average goaltending the entire season. Yeah, and that's going to probably be the, the big difference, isn't it? If, if Fleury regresses back to the average, and we're just saying average, or even if he regresses back to above average. Um, they were fourth they overall go- in the league before tonight, and he got a yeah. shutout. So, you know, probably yeah. top three team in goaltending after tonight. And not something you're used to hearing associated with Pittsburgh. Hey, that's, I mean, that's great. But it's also at a 9.47 mm. save percentage at even strength when league average is 9.21 on any given year. And that's just not going to continue. No, it won't. And... Nor should the expectation be there that it should for him. You know, the, the team does need to sort of get on board and get a few things sorted out. And that's, it's, I mean, one of the things we haven't even discussed has, has been the addition of Eric Fair. All of a sudden, that, for, that forward core of players looks great. Well, that was always, well, early on when we're, we're you know, 
once again, the the goaltending throughout has been great. But when they started 0 and 3, they were they were missing uh, Dupuis and Fair, who. When to you be think fair, of, when you think about the Penguins, you you think the the big names, obviously Crosby, Malkin, uh, Kessel, that kind of stuff. But any team that that's missing a Dupuis slash Fair in their forward ranks, I mean that's that's a noticeable thing. So the Penguins mm-hmm. got Dupuis back, and I don't think he's played great by any stretch. In fact, I think possession wise, he's not been very good even though he's been playing with Sid uh his his long track record speaks to him being a, a good player and Eric Fair clearly I mean he's he's a he's been a really good know, player in recent years and he came do back you know who tonight. he reminds me of out there on the ice he reminds me of Jordan Stahl because of his size but he can still move just that the physical size of of Eric Fair is the one thing I noticed when he went out there and who the hell is oh that's him right he does take up a lot of space on the ice, and he can move. So, wait, um, who who is that number sixteen scoring shorthanded goals, but not a complete dumpster fire at even strength, winning a board battle? Yeah, I know. So, it's the thing. If Eric Fair was very number eleven, I'd have sworn it was Stall. To be honest, hey, so seeing, seeing a Penguins guy number 16 score shorthanded we've seen that but it was a little, oh, yeah, we've seen that. A little we've bit seen that a little bit before. jarring to, to see uh you know the other good stuff associated with that number <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's one of those things where what was great about this game was that none of the big dogs really did anything and they still won four zip well malkin i mean he creates he he does things that are amazing. In fact, he he almost got Phil a secondary assist. He he made a great move in the zone and, and slipped a pass through the crease. And uh, David Perron, I mean, he who's played well the last few games, it did just didn't uh, just didn't score there in the crease. It, and uh, he looked very funny. He just yeah, you couldn't believe he missed. It's been tough for Perron. I know he. He's he rightfully has been criticized, but uh, he's not a bad player. He really isn't. I know it's been a tough, uh, tangible offensive stretch for him, stretching from when he broke his ribs at the end of last year. Uh, I, I'm very surprised that that his lack of production continued into this season. But he's working, he's getting into the right spots. Last two games, he's. Um, had some scissor plays with Chris Letang in the offensive zone, who's probably the only defenseman that could actually make those kind of plays with him. It's basically, we talk about you want to cycle down low. Well, that's the cycling up high version of it when you get the, the defenseman that comes down the wall and you can either fake it to him and continue on and, and curl around into the high slot or you you actually exchange the puck with him depending on what that defensive player is leaning towards but just little plays like that that aren't overly complicated but good players will will make them and uh, he's been making those kind of plays so I I think the process so far um, not the whole year but the last few games has been okay for Perron and in fact he came close to scoring tonight. Uh, Kunitz cleaned, cleaned up his 
rebound, but, you know, really, he, you know, that puck was on the goal line. I've no idea stuck. how it actually squeaked through, though, and didn't roll over. Like, Bernier must be driving Toronto nuts. You know, he's very reminiscent of Fleury from, you know, what, four years ago. Goals are just going, you go, how does that go in? You're an NHL-level goalie, how does that puck go in? I don't, I don't understand. That's the, the thing, like, it would be driving them crazy in Toronto at the moment. They're trying to work out if he's a number one goalie or not, and he's doing a very good display of not being one. Pretty much. Right? I mean, it's it's a frustrating spot to be in. Yeah, huh. But they're not locked in long term, so that's okay. Yeah, you should, he'll be fine. Like they'll be fine in that sense. But um, that- yeah. Back to your uh, who you brought up, Eric, Eric Fair being in the lineup's a tremendous thing. Uh, fourth line tonight, Matt Cullen scores, Eric Fair scores. I do not consider Eric Fair a fourth liner, but that's where he played tonight on the right wing. Eric Fair provides some really unique lineup opportunities for the Penguins. He could he could play top six wing, at least on the right side. He could be the third line center. So let's hypothetically say that uh, Pittsburgh's left wingers just still aren't cutting it. Uh, Benino has been known to pop over to the left wing alongside Getzlaff and Perry. I know he's more of a center, but, you know, hey, that he's played that left-wing spot, shown some success. Uh, he's a great passer. I really think he's a great passer and strong on the wall, things that, you know, wingers need to do. And uh, Eric Ferris more than capable of playing a third-line center role, as we've seen in Washington. So that opens up some possibilities, even some trade possibilities. I just like the fact that they've got options and it's not, they're not just rolling out the same stuff game after game with no choice. They can chop and change their lines now. They can try and find a fit in that bottom six to, to eke as much production out of them as you possibly can. I I know we only played Toronto, but I didn't feel unsafe with any of those lines out there on the ice in this game. Not from and a forward get, standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, no, let's ignore the back end. Um, yeah, so it, Rutherford has obviously copped a bit of flack here and there for particular particular trades and whatnot, but he's really bolstered that forward depth. You know, everything's looking great up there. They've just got to work out how they can use that depth to create something else on the back end. Or they're just going to nut up and use the youth that they've got, bring them in, let them learn on the fly. Learn by their mistakes. Yeah, I would do the learn mistakes and also probably bolster it. Yeah. But you, the thing is, though, they're not going to know what exactly what they need unless they start playing these kids. Unless Pouliot gets in and they can go, okay, he can do these things well, and then, you know, Clint didn't come in, oh, he can do these things well. What are we going to need in that trade? What's the actual output we need from the asset we need to get back in? And if you're not playing them, you're not going to know that. Uh, 
yeah, we'll we'll be in a weird buffer zone for at least a month, I think, on who they decide to kind of. I know David Perron is probably the likely trade chip. I don't think. That's the problem with that. I I agree with you, but he's just got no value for now. But like we said, process last few games has been good. Playing with yep. Malkin and Kessel, eventually you think, well, yep. <laughs> the points will come if he keeps doing the right things. So, um, you know, and then you get into uh, a player uh, that I've always thought highly of, Bo Bennett. Three points in his last three games. Yeah, yes, of course. We're talking about Bo, so they haven't been quite three consecutive games. <laughs> but snipe, snipe against Carey Price, and then um, last two games, some assists, right? Yeah, he's been good. It's been really. Like, it's good. one of those things where you can see you can see why he got he got picked where he did in the draft, and you can see why Pittsburgh want him to do well. Um, but because he is, you know, brittle bow, um, he's not on a he's on like this is well, it's a one year deal he's on now, so it's there for both sides to to benefit from, from this. They're just going to keep him healthy on the ice, and and when he is, good things generally happen. Yeah, and. It was a weird sequence tonight against Toronto. Uh, it was a power play sequence, and Bo was making the right play and didn't execute it properly in in the offensive zone. It rolled off his stick, and and Toronto took it back the other way and got a a really good shorthanded chance. Mm. And then the puck got moved back up the ice, and it got to Bo. And he got the zone entry and then uh, just just did a nice, a very nice uh, area saucer pass over to um, Perron. And that was the shot that we talked about earlier that found its way through Bernier where Kunitz came in and, and cleaned it up. But, like, it, it, it shows just a little nice play, undescript plays that he can make. To, to create offense, and I think he'll continue to do that if he's in the lineup. Um, if being in the lineup has been the issue for him. Uh, yeah. So, hey, stay in the lineup. Help the teams because because <laughs> I like watching him play. I think he makes little oh, crafty – he makes crafty plays I enjoy seeing. Um, it's funny when you get there and say stay, in, you know, stay on the ice. It's like, well, it's not like he's deliberately going out and hurting himself. We all know this. No, but it's been a ridiculous path. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's just hope he can stay on. You know, stay on the ice and play well. There's, there's another forward. Uh, we have not brought up. He did not play tonight, and that's Daniel Sprong. And, you know, this is one of those Penguins topics that did great arguments on both sides. I don't think there's any uh, dispute about that. 
great arguments to keep him up, great arguments to send him back. Uh, I still think they'll keep him, and I'm still not against that. Even though, even though him being out of the lineup, some people are mad. They're like, how can you keep this kid out of the lineup and he's only got so many games and why waste him? I don't <clears> think <throat> he's played well enough to have a guaranteed lineup spot right now. But I think that's also separate from let's send him down. I think you can have it. Uh, I think you can think that he's not playing well in the moment and still not want to send him down. It's a that's it's where a tough I am one. with it. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one for me because of the contract issue that you've got. But this is a decision to make for the now. And as you've said before in previous podcasts, in three years' time when his deal does expire, um, Pittsburgh will have contracts off the books, and the guys that look like they will be wanting to try eat into the same money that, that he'll want aren't exactly what I'd call performing to the point where they're going to blow Pittsburgh out of a, into a salary cap hole. So it's not it's not something I, I would – I'd like him to stay up. I don't think he's going to sort of get anything extra out of going back to junior – if you can sit there and and be around the guys like Crosby and Malcolm and Latang and, and try and teach you some, some good uh, professional habits and stuff like that. I mean, what was the knock on Sprong before the start of the year? He had a bit of an attitude problem? I think that was a draft thing. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So if if you want him to learn good habits and to not have an attitude problem – have him around players like the Penguins have got would probably be a good idea anyway. I'm not so sure how accurate that, that, that no, assessment is. That's, that's uh, what but, I mean. But his perceived shortcomings defensively are... It's perception. Well, not, no, not necessarily just perception. I mean, he does tend to enjoy the offensive side of the puck when, it, when, it, when in the defensive zone. But, Funny that. You know, I, that's an eagerness to get the puck going the other way, and I get it. But there's an easy fix to that. Hey, stay on the defensive side of the puck. Okay, I have the skating skill, the mind, and the skill set to do that. Sure, I'll start doing that. And I think he will start doing that. Uh, the trouble with the Daniel Sprong, Sprong saga so far is we're back to that quality of teammate thing, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So you want him to do all these things that he's capable of doing, and it reminds me of Bo Bennett last year the, when he was healthy. Why aren't you playing better, Bo? Well, I don't know. I got Max fucking LaPierre on my as my center, <laughs> and I got Zach Sill on the other side of that. I mean, what what do you want? It's not you? quite that bad for Daniel Sprong, obviously. But there's a combination of a quality of teammate issue, and there's uh, the aspect of perhaps he's not playing as well he's, as he could. Uh but I will speak to your point about the contracts. I don't care about the entry-level contract for Daniel Sprong right now. I really don't. There's no need to. Crosby and Malkin are um, entering the twilight of their prime. 
they are past their premier um, goal scoring point prime. I do believe yep. that. Uh, Twenty eight years old, they're they're past it. They're, they're they're they are past the prime of their apex, and and that's weird to think, but they are. They're not past the prime of being really awesome. But you're in that window where you got to strike right now. Mm. And I just, I think keeping Sprung up is a risk worth taking. I don't, I don't care about the ELC thing. Dupuis and Kunitz will be off the books. Perron's most likely going to be off the books. Mata on this, Mata and Pugliata on the tracks they're on right now are not breaking the bank whatsoever. No. So Scuderi will be off the books. So what's the Woo-hoo. problem here? Sprung plays awesome and you got to pay him? Okay. Great. So that means you got Kessel and Sprung as your right wingers and Hornquist becomes a nice trade chip. And you're not – and the thing with Sprung is though, you're not – it's not like in the – it's not like when Jordan Stahl came through, he came in and – he was a really big, important piece. Sprong's coming in to be a complementary piece, hopefully a good one. But, I mean, it's it's different to the whole Jordan Stall argument in regards to him getting to that big contract quicker. Penguins want a cup with that. Why would you not want to take that chance again with Sprong? I think... The upside's just there. Sprong has played seven games? I think he's actually played eight. I think he's got one left. Does he have just one left? I think so. I'm going to look that up right now. We'll see what. So as you could tell, I said it with uh, no confidence whatsoever. I didn't find it right off the bat. Um, but keeping him out is buying them just a little bit of time. Who uh, I know Mike Colligan of... Uh, who writes for Forbes and the Hockey Writers and, and the Pens blog, uh, he he spoke about having speculation that maybe they're keeping him out to keep the games uh, before they make their choice, buying some time for maybe a, yeah. a trade thing. And, and you know, I, I, I don't think that's terrible logic, really. No, I yeah, I can see the sense in doing that. It, it, it makes very good sense to go ahead and do it that way. Why you don't think you don't have to do it in the you don't have to do it in the first nine games of the year. He just has to get to his ninth game played, and then you make up your mind. So he might get to twentieth game before they actually have to make that decision. They'll have a much better idea of where the team is by then, anyway. It's not how he's playing right now. It's how you perceive him to be at the end of the year. So if that means keeping him up and burning an ELC, and some nights him not being in the lineup. Uh, there's no need for like these extreme overreactions. I st- I just don't think there's anything to be had in development for him at the queue right now. I just don't. No, and that's the thing. So even if they do bring him up and he has to, actually, if they bring him up and he he doesn't end up playing, does that then go against? The roster it does, doesn't it? They, they'd be down a roster spot if he ends up just being really bad because they've pulled they, him up and they, they don't want to Well, it, let's, let's talk about a worst-case scenario, which is what happened with the Sabres with uh, Grigorenko. Yeah. They kept him up. 
It didn't work. They sent him back to juniors, which you can do after the nine games. But the the ELC ticks. So you could so, so you could send him down. Really? Oh God, do it. Just do it. If you have to send him down and he's on an ELC while he's playing junior, so be it. The benefits outweigh the the, the cons. I mean, if if the stupid transfer agreement wasn't there, I I'd already have him in the AHL. Yeah, but it's that's it's there. That's not how it's working. So, um, you know, Pittsburgh's eventually going to trade a forward, which just sounds bizarre. <laughs> it's going to happen. Who it is, we don't know yet. I would keep Sprung up. Because you just don't know. And, um, you know, we talked about it maybe being Perron. I think, right? I mean, Kunitz, I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't know what to expect or to think in regards to who are they going to trade away. Because I'd have... I sort of had mental thoughts that they were never going to be able to actually trade for Kessel. And I never yeah, thought that they would. That's a tough thing about a trade. That, yes. I can't pretend to think that the, I, I was against a Kessel trade. I, I have no shame in admitting that because why would I think that the Leafs would have traded Kessel to the Penguins? For what they did and kept yeah. salary. I mean, why? Why would that have? I would have been laughed at if I if I told <laughs> if I wrote a blog prior to that trade and actually wrote the actual trade that went down. People would rip on me. Of course they would. So it, it's a and difficult thing. Sorry. But let's say Peron goes right. Yep. Move Benino to the uh, Kessel Malkin. Fair takes over on uh, third line center. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep, then cool. you still yeah. got that left wing spot with Sid and Hornquist. I'm still not against Bo. Trying Bo somewhere I up there. I know I he's not. I know they don't love him on, or he doesn't love left wing. But uh, Bennett, Crosby, Hornquist, I wouldn't mind seeing that for a little bit. Yeah. And then you got, uh, you know, maybe the uh, Kunitz, Fair, Sprung third line. It's just... Something like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. They need a defenseman. The fact of the matter is, is that this team's not just relying on the top two lines to produce anymore. So that they can actually trade from a position of strength minus injuries, um, and you know really potentially get something back that they need. And whether they can do that, whether they get that right or not, probably comes down to whether Rutherford's a good GM or not. 
because everybody knows what Pittsburgh needs, and generally teams don't like to give other teams exactly what they know they need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes it hard. <laughs> so many options, though. I mean... Which is nice. This and, whole podcast and, and, is just us talking out of our ass because we just don't know. No, but they've actually got options. That's the, I think that's the, the big thing for me is that there's actually options there for a change. Good ones too. Yeah. If we're talking about yeah. the forwards. Well, look, the thing is that they've got options on defense as well. They've just got to choose to use them. I, I think that's what sort of baffles Options for change. Yeah, they've got options there rather than... Maybe not options for success. We don't know. And that's the thing that bothers me. Pulley-out Clendenning, that's an obvious thing for me. It's not guaranteed success, but, I mean, the status quo is certainly not success by any objective measure. No. So, yes, of course, me and you both feel, hey, screw it. Try this. I mean, come on. We're bottom five. We're bleeding shots left and right. The Buffalo Sabres kicked our ass the other night. You know what? Dan Bilesma coming back to Pittsburgh, his team kicked the crap out of the Penguins. Yeah. They did not win. But holy cow. They put up 53 shots. And um, I think Andy Smith had the um, of the garage lead pie garage uh, league podcast had the had the tweet that Pittsburgh has not given up 53 shots in a game since game five it was gay it was the it was the triple overtime game against Detroit in the 2008 Stanley Cup final and let me say some things about that one the 0708 Detroit Red Wings are probably and by probably, I'm I'm 95% certain they were the they're the best team of the whole analytics era. So they control possession like animals and were awesome. And even in a triple overtime game, the Penguins only gave up 53 shots. And the other 5% that I'm unsure of is the 2008-2009 Red Wings who Pittsburgh somehow got through. So, Jesus, the Sabres without Tyler Ennis and Evander Kane did that to you? You know what what it kind of does remind me of, though? Uh, It reminds me of a Dan Biles-McCoach team um, out shooting another team but not getting return for it, not actually getting visible... uh, Goal results for it. It was one of the things that. Well, geez, uh, we you know, thought, you know what else happened in that game? Their goalie what? played like shit. Well, I didn't want to bring that up because well, I knew they, we would. You would've... know, it, it, Dan Biles' no, time came and went. The shelf life was done, but you know, a lot yeah. of the prime roster years for Dan Bilesma, the goalie played like shit in the playoffs, like absolute shit. And uh, there were some injury things that happened. And that's not to say that Dan Bilesma's the, the best coach that ever lived and he didn't make mistakes because towards the end of his run, 
there were some player personnel choices that were just asinine. Uh, you know, going with Tanner Glass and Craig Adams and, and just all of those unskilled veterans. But at the same time, the, the real chunk of the, the Crosby-Melkin prime, um, I think how we praised Flurry at the beginning of this podcast, rightfully so, I, I, I think there's, if we're going to analyze this correctly, I, I think he played equally crummy during those playoff runs and really... Oh, he, probably, he probably cost one of those teams a, a cup, really. You look at how poorly he did play. 20-11-12 so. is the toughest one for me as far as uh, Flurry's goaltending because I think Pittsburgh had 60% possession against the Flyers that series, which is, you know, in a playoff series, remarkable. Yeah. And uh, Flurry got outplayed by Brzezgalov, <laughs> who was a train wreck himself. Uh, the 2010-11 year was frustrating on a different level, not having Crosby Malkin at all. Yeah. But even that year, they were up 3-1 in the series, and Flurry played like a dog the rest of the way that let them back in the series. And yes, he only gave up one goal in that game seven, but they lost one, nothing. They just didn't have enough offensive firepower. I think, uh, if my memory recalls correctly, the top line was, uh, oh, what was that top line? I think it was Mark Latestu, James Neal. Was it James Neal? Uh, wasn't that Tampa Bay series? Latestu, Neal, and Kovalev? Some, something crazy like that. Yeah. It wasn't pretty. But it's one of those things where um, timing is everything. And I think I said to you before the podcast, the whole the theory was that Ovi had missed his window. He was done. He was never going to get another crack at it because he'd gone through his prime scoring years and he was on the downhill slide of, of his skill set. But... Washington have done a really good job of of reshuffling the deck with that team. They've got a, a great chance, I think, this year of, of going deep in the East. Um, there's nothing to say that they can't get hot at the at the right time of the year and, and win it. I'm not particularly concerned about the Sid and Geno window because I think that they're doing the Washington retool last year and this year. They haven't quite got it right, obviously, but that wow. that change is on its way. Anything else you want to discuss? Yeah. There is one last thing. Yeah. How was your Halloween candy? It was, well, Halloween was great, but then I had some friends' kids come over and I looked at my Halloween candy bowl and then it was all gone. They ran it off with it, the rat bags. <laughs> Took it and ran. Smart kids, I would have done the same at their age. But I'm not happy. I've lost all my M&Ms and my Snickers bars and all that. I'm like, ugh. But that's why you have kids, because I, well, I have this moral dilemma every year. (laughs) Yeah. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And uh, Halloween for me 
it's one of the best holidays of the year because <laughs> it's just you know you have kids that age it's it's tremendous uh it's also tremendous because uh they just acquire all of your favorite candy <laughs> <laughs> and um my older one doesn't have uh quite the sweet tooth my younger one uh is like a garbage disposal she'll <laughs> she'll eat the candies till she's sick uh but yeah, there's some peanut butter cups in this house now, and uh, I gotta make some some choices as a father. <laughs> well, be a good dad or a bad dad. Yeah, so I'll probably be an okay dad. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I know there's some people out there that don't like peanut butter cups. These, <laughs> these people are animals. These people may have been on our podcast. Oh. Yeah, Tra- Tra- Travis Yost and his I can deal with some of his food takes, but he's an anti <laughs> he's an anti peanut butter cup guy and uh yeah. Yep, not, not, not down with that. He's a monster. The worst kind of Halloween <laughs> monster for having that kind of food take. How do you not like peanut butter cups? You freaking monster, Travis. <laughs> so. But you lost all your candy. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. What is your favorite? Um, I just said, obviously, uh, mine's, mine, mine's always. the. Actually, sorry. The peanut butter cup is not my favorite. Those Easter peanut butter eggs? Jeez. I, I mean, uh, okay. yeah, those those are my favorite. Uh, my um my favorite is the peanut M&M. I can just sit down and just chug them down all night long. Freaking love them. I can't argue so, with that at all. Those are absolutely amazing. And here's the funny thing. Both of our favorite uh, Halloween treats have peanuts in them and at least here in the united states apparently like there's just this incredible rash of peanut allergies so you see less and less of it now oh really yeah do you see peanut allergy as a common thing in australia um it's funny a lot of kids have got it yeah like what what have we changed um, and then, and then as they get older, it goes away. So I don't know what's going on with kids as they develop that they can't handle peanuts. And then at some point, all of a sudden, yeah, you can have peanuts again. So is life worth door. living without peanut butter cups? I would say no for the M and M's. I know that. Yeah, I, I... like I, I was legitimately, like legitimately upset this morning when I I worked it out that everything was gone. There wasn't anything left that I'd, I'd kept. It was it was all gone, and I was like, "Oh, I'm hungover. I'd really like some chocolate right now. I got nothing." So basically, what happened was, you know, you had a little bit too much fun on Halloween. You, it was the the rugby final, if I'm correct. Correct. I did watch that. Was it Australia? It was Australia versus New Zealand, and the correct team won, and that wasn't Australia. Oh. New Zealand are just that good. It's just simple as that. They're by far and away the, the best team in that sport. Um, and 
the score sort of replicated what it should have been. That's about right. So you would say New Zealand is the peanut M&M of the rugby world? I certainly would. I most certainly would. Um, plus, they do the hacker. So you watch that at the start of every game that they do. It's freaking awesome. The what? Have you never seen the New Zealand rugby team do the haka? Cam, I haven't seen any rugby team do anything. All right, just when we finish the podcast, just type into Google New Zealand haka and watch it. It's freaking awesome. They do it before like every game. It's unreal. I'm not anti-rugby, but... No, no, but you've got only so many hours in a day, man. I mean, I think there were some rugby teams at my college but I think that was more alcohol driven than uh, rugby driven (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they actually had games people went to or anything but that's that's what it felt like yesterday I'll tell you alcohol driven Uh, what's that Zoolander line Sting the fact that you're out there making that music I, res- I respect that. So basically, same opinion. Like hey, it, the fact you're out there playing that rugby, I respect uh, that. <laughs> I really hope Zoolander 2 is a good movie. Yes. Uh, you know, you got lucky with your Dumb and Dumber 2, so I'm hoping that... Um... Uh, it was okay. Yeah, but it wasn't a tire fire. No, correct. It was a watchable okay movie and if you stripped it away from the all-time classic that the first one was mm-hmm. it was it was fine uh i still have not watched dumb and dumber and i refuse to i still have not watched <laughs> Slapshot 2 i refuse to so yeah dumb well for the listeners dumb and dumber is my my favorite movie so yeah, so I've got Just my favorite some insight into that. <laughs> my favorite movie is Star Wars, so I'm very excited for the new one to come out. I watched the first one, and it was okay. Yeah, that's all I have on it. It was okay. You say the first one, or are you talking about Episode One or Episode Four, like 1980? Alright, so the first one. Yep. It was fine. I, I, I can see why people really like it. Uh, I have no negative things to say about it, but uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, it most certainly is not. Not even in the same genre. No. We should do a movie podcast. Yeah, actually, it'd be interesting to see what our takes are like, because whilst we have very similar tastes in, in hockey, it'd be interesting to know what we get into outside of that. Cam's favorite comedy is Crocodile Dundee. Okay, look, that's offensive. <laughs> and I'm called four. Sorry, Crocodile Dundee 2. That's even... Oh, come on, man. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang up, I think. This is just getting abusive. Oh, that that movie stereotyped us in so many ways, and then you end up with a guy like Steve Irwin who enforces that stereotype even further. You just you can't avoid it. 
you got um shit what's his name you got a good actor yeah, he yeah that's the one thank you yeah. he does good stuff yeah you know he got waving who else is there um oh the Hemsworths Well, you've you got uh, Heath. This is the thing. We've got Wolverine and Thor. And the Joker until his untimely demise. Yeah, that was pretty sad, actually. <laughs> no, but Heath was really good. He was. No, he, he really, really was. Um, you know, we've had a few had a few big characters from Lord of the Rings as well. Um, no, back to that genre. Yeah. I watched the first one of that, too. Jesus. And it was okay. <laughs> I grew up reading those books over and over and over, so to see it finally come out in film was really cool. While you were off learning how to skate, I was reading about elves. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. I think I got that wrong. <laughs> All right, that should do us. We are quite literally <laughs> just dribbling along here. We'll do an entertainment podcast. People won't listen, but we'll do it anyways. Yeah, we can do we can do whatever we want. Leave our podcasts, aren't they? Uh, last final thought for me on the Penguins. After all that, uh, <laughs> wrestled their way through a uh, a very tough opening stretch of the season to where they were playing some good teams, maybe playing some teams that aren't going to end up being good, but were playing really great at the time. And I expect them to continue their winning success as they make their way through the next stretch into Western Canada. There's another game against Montreal, but there's also um, New Jersey who, uh, you know, I don't think is very good. Even though the great Bobby Farnham had two points. Today. Yeah, I saw that. I did have a bit of a chuckle. Well, you know, there, there's some all-time bad moves in Penguins history. One's the Yager trade, and the other one's waving Bobby Farnham. <laughs> okay, now you're just being facetious. So, um, as always... We, we appreciate people listening, and um, we're available on Twitter at any time, uh, at Gunnerstall, at Walshy66, uh, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Those are our Twitter things. Um, find oh, actually, I will, I will make one shout-out. Because I'm not getting to watch as many games as, as I used to, I struggle to keep track of all the suspendable hits and whatnot. If anyone sees something that they want me to have a look at, please just tweet the the at regular face um, gif for me and I can have a look at it. I just don't get to them all. And, you know, all you guys watch different teams, so it would be really handy to have different sets of eyes out there. If you see something you want me to have a look at, flick it through via Twitter and I'll, I'll tee it up through the suspension system. Yeah, Stephanie um, does... It's awesome. S- yeah. Raises the the quality of being a hockey fan just to have that instant um, 
the gifts that she puts out. She's she's fantastic. She she is tremendous. I've put out a few personal, like not many, but like anytime I've kind of seen a a play in a game to where I've kind of wanted it for a blog, and she's just gone out of her way to provide that and. Beautifully accommodating. At my regular face. If you don't follow her, you're a fool. (laughs) It's pretty much what it boils down to. Um, uh, What other plugging can we do here? Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 book at hockeyprospectus.com. If you would like to donate to this podcast, you can do so. Uh, by finding this podcast at HockeyHertz.com. And last but not least, rate us on iTunes. We are a five-star podcast, if you can believe that or not. Yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around that fact. Well, you know, you you do ones like this on Halloween night, and they're kind of (laughs) touching. (laughs) We didn't think we were going to have a podcast this week. No, we actually tweeted that out. And, um, you know. I think it's for the better, but rate us. Give us feedback. The way that we can get better is by understanding where our weaknesses are. So, uh, if, if you think it's if, our backhand, if you think it's our goalkeeping, if you think it's our wingers, let us know. <laughs> but if there are topics you want to hear discussed, find us. Tell us. We'll accommodate you. So We certainly will. All right. Well, Cam, happy Halloween. I'm sorry all your candy's gone. Uh, and uh, you're not really. You go and enjoy. You go and enjoy your kids' candy. Well, you know I'm a great dad. I'll um, <laughs> I'll just right. uh, take the peanut butter cups, I guess. So. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll see you next week, Putting up. <laughs> okay. Till next week. Thank you very much.